had their Nazarene naps. Oh, yeah, I did fall asleep. Well, we got, we got a few. Amen. <laughs> well, stand with me. I want you to mingle around as we make everybody welcome tonight and tell them how good it I'm is to be in God's house. Amen. Oh, aren't you glad of that? You get to mingle around and get your blood pumping. Amen. So you can walk around. I'll sing. We'll sing. Amen. I'm sorry, ladies. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died. Sins I learn, I tremble at the law I spurn, till my guilty soul employing turn to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. Well, there my burning soul found liberty. Aren't you glad for that tonight? We can go to Calvary. Our burdened souls finds the liberty that we need. Amen. 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 That gives you the liberty to walk around and shake your neighbor's hand. Amen. Isn't that great? <laughs> On the third. Now I give to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my rapture too can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Will there my burden soul found liberty at Calvary? Oh, true salvation's plan Oh, the grace that brought it down to man Oh, the mighty gulf that God did spend at Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me Will there my burden so find Aren't you glad for that tonight? Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah, they're still visiting. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Amen. We can, we can praise him and give him praise for what he's done for us. Amen. Oh, God's great. He's good. Aren't you glad you're part of the family tonight? Amen. Hey, what I hear, what I saw down going downstairs, it's going to be a good afternoon. I saw all kind of desserts and stuff flowing that way. Amen. We can be part of the family and eat some chocolate cake, can't we? Amen. 
Well, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Well, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. It's good to be part of the family, isn't it? Amen. Amen. We can come in and we can have a great time together and just worship and give him praise for what he's done for us. Amen. Amen. Let's say a word of prayer and then we'll go on. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time you've given us. Thank you for the wonderful day that you have given us today. Lord, you've made a beautiful day, and we praise, we praise your name for it. And, Lord, all that you do for us tonight, we give thee the praise and the glory for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb tonight? Amen. That's an old one. Let me remember that old song. Well, we got three or four of you. <laughs> Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now, how many have heard it before? Well, good. I done sung one verse of it. I know you've heard it. <laughs> oh, God's good to us, isn't he? <laughs> well, maybe I'll sing another verse and you can raise your hand on the other verse. Amen. How's that? Hey, here we go. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in His crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the souls unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? 
Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Aren't you glad for that tonight? We can be washed in his blood. Amen. That's like the pastor was talking about this morning. If it wasn't for his blood, we wouldn't be here. Amen. We wouldn't have a shepherd. That's right. <laughs> Because he gave it all for us. Amen. He gave everything for us. When he hung on that old cross and shed his blood, he gave it all for us. And that's why I love him tonight. Because he's real to my heart. Sometimes I can't say the right words that, that will get around to where you understand it. But when he reaches down deep in your heart and he pulls you out and he lifts you up on, on high and you commune with him as father as son, it's good, folks. And he loves you today. He loved you so much he died for you. And that's why we're here tonight, praising him and giving praise for what he's done for us. Amen. Sing this old song with me. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched. That second verse, Andrew. When I met him over 43 years ago, 
when I nailed it across. And we're coming up on the Easter season. But when I knelt down, I knelt down an old filthy sinner. But when I come up, oh, when I come up, boy, I come up cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. He said, "What's your, mine is yours. And what, what I've got, he's got. Amen? Amen. That's why this guy's been like that. Since I met him, he changed all things. Man, he, he changed my attitude. I used to have a bad temper. And Susan could agree to that. <laughs> but uh, I had a bad temper. And one night I knelt down and I said, Lord, you're going to have to take this temper from mine. Because I had a hot temper. And I knelt at an altar one night and I asked for sanctification. You know, the old tree was cut down when I got saved. But you know, he reached down in there and he just pulled the whole stump out. I don't have that temper no more. Never, never had, I used to curse all the time. Never had no desire to cuss again. Never had no inkling of getting in a fight again. And that's all I stayed in was trouble. <laughs> it followed me. I rode rodeo for two and a half years. I travel all over this place. And my bones will tell you every time I get up in the morning. But it wasn't my it wasn't his doing, it was my doing. You know, the Bible says you reap what you sow. And if you become a Christian, it doesn't change. You still reap what you sowed. Amen. And, but I'm so glad I met him. He changed it all for me. Amen. Amen. Now, since you know the story, you can sing it with a whole heart. Amen. Sing it with me. Since I met this blessed Savior, since He cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease, never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while John, would you come?
Amen. Amen. Yep. Before we sit down, we're going to have our prayer time. And um, tonight, uh, you know, the uh, Compassionate Ministry has, uh, they have a presentation for my father, but of course, since my dad's not here. Um, I have it, and um, we have. Uh, they have made the uh, blankets for uh, the ones going through chemo, and uh, he is an LSU fan, similar to what I am. So they made him a uh, a nice LSU. Uh, you know, quilt uh, for whenever he is taking his chemo treatments. So what we're going to do, I'm going to place it on this, okay? Because what it is, is is that whenever he is laying there taking his chemo and he's covered with the blanket, he is covered with our prayers. So let's come and let's gather together. I know you don't know my father that much. I've told stories about him, uh, you know, but, um, uh, you know, he is a, uh, you could say he's a gentle giant. Uh, but he really wasn't all that gentle. Uh, he's 6'4". He's uh, you know, about 275, 280 pounds of a man. Uh, you know, and uh, yes, he used every bit of that while I was growing up as a, uh, uh, you know, as a, as a nice, nice uh, you know, teenager. Uh, you know, well, I appreciate that. But we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to pray over this blanket. So let's go ahead and come together, and if you can reach the podium and touch the blanket, do that. If you can't, touch the shoulder of the person that is next to you, and we're just simply going to pray over this blanket, uh, and we're going to send our prayers uh, you know, to Him. Don't fight over it. I know it's a beautiful blanket, but don't. Oh, is that what that is? Is that what that is? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you right now. And, and God, as we are here and we come together, dear Lord, we uh, pray. God, that you would be with us. And God, as we hold this blanket or we touch one another, God, we pray, dear Lord, that our prayers from you, dear Lord, will go into this blanket. And that as my father takes his chemo treatments, dear Lord, that he would feel the prayers and the love that's in this blanket, dear Lord. But more importantly, God, I pray that he would feel your love. God, as he is wrapped in this, dear Lord, that he would feel your love and your protection around his body. God, we pray, dear Lord, that you would go and you would touch every one of those cancer cells, dear Lord, and that you would begin this healing process. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would touch his soul. And God, that he would, be, that he would come out of this a stronger man for you. 
And God, that his love for you would grow more and more. God, I pray that you would be with each one that is here tonight, dear Lord, that you would touch them as well. God, through the struggles and through the times of this life, dear Lord, we pray and we just ask you for your guidance and for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can have the ushers to go ahead and make their way forward. Grady, if you could lead us in prayer. Wait a minute, let me say something before we start singing. Let me hold this. I'll give it back. <laughs> this is not the song that I had planned on singing. I practiced all week, let's meet by the river. That's what I was going to sing. But the Lord woke me up this morning and he said, no, you're going to sing. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. So I know this song's for somebody here tonight. So y'all worship and praise God with us. But when we were practicing, I was hoarse, and I asked her, I said, Violet, you sure the Lord tells you uh, for us to sing this song? <laughs> Diane heard us. So, so we're going we're gonna to try it here.
Tonight, uh, you know, since I got excited this morning, I didn't get to uh, to get to the last portion of the passage of Scripture for you. So tonight we're going to look into this. Um, you know, so let's go ahead and turn to the tenth chapter of the Gospel of John. But we're going to slide all the way down, and we're going to start with verse twenty-two. Uh, so we're going to go all the way down to verse twenty-two. It's going to kind of be a preliminary or an opening for us on this. So whenever you get there, just kind of look up at me. Okay. So it says, it was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. 
So let's stop right there. So why do we have this change and stuff here, uh, you know, in this, you know, this gap in this uh, story or in this illustration that Jesus had been given to us as far as, uh, you know, being the good shepherd. We find that uh, the people got upset because he was talking about the father in verses um, 17. He says, the father loves me because I sacrificed myself so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want, and also to take it up, uh, you know, for this is what my Father has commanded. Uh, you know, so here we find then in those next verses that the people were divided. They were saying that he is demon-possessed, and then they're saying that, no, uh, you know, uh, he just healed the blind man. So you remember, he healed the blind man in verse, uh, you know, in chapter 9. Uh, you know, and they're divided in what's going to happen or what he is. So then we go into the, this next part, and the uh, author of this tells us that it's wintertime, and it is around the festival of Hanukkah, which is also known as the festival of dedication. Uh, you know, so we have this time period, uh, you know, as far as when it is. And it says that he was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Does that match with the verses that we just read in uh, you know, there in verse 18 or in verse 19. Uh, you know, they were divided. They thought that he was demon-possessed. And now we have this group of people as he is walking through the temple, uh, you know, and they are going to ask him, hey, tell us plainly, if you're the Messiah, then say it. Say that you're the Messiah. Uh, well, he's already done that, uh, you know. So, of course, Jesus replies, I have already told you, and you did not believe. The proof is the work that I do in my Father's name. There again, he goes back to the healing in chapter 9. And he, he brings up or he takes them to that particular healing, uh, you know, because no one, no one had ever healed anyone that had been born blind. Now, supposedly, in this particular time of history, that there were other healers out there, and there were people that had healed someone else from blindness, but never from being born blind. So Jesus is showing his authority, not only being able to heal, but being able to heal someone that was born in this condition. So it wasn't something that was brought about because of sin or something that was brought about in someone's life because, uh, you know, like Kelly said, uh, you know, they reaped what they sowed, uh, you know, that they were working or they did things that, uh, you know, that possibly caused them to go blind. Uh, you know, so we find here that Jesus is really dealing and showing his authority and who he truly is. Uh, you know, but from there in verse 26, it goes, it goes, but you did not believe me because you were not my sheep. 
And then he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So we find here, uh, you know, that the people have came. So from this first part that we talked about this morning where Jesus was talking about he is the good shepherd, uh, you know, there has to be a time lapse here before you come to this next part. So that also gives us this understanding that he is actually talking to another group of people. So these wouldn't have been the group of people that he talked about being the good shepherd. Now some of them could have been because a lot of his followers and a lot of people that were in these groups and stuff were the same. They just kept following from one place to another place. So they most probably heard Jesus say this if they didn't hear him talk about him being the good shepherd, they heard other people talk about him being the good shepherd. You know, so they get this, but we come to this, and Jesus here begins to explain and tell us, you know, that it's his works that identifies him as the Messiah. Because the works that he does, he only does them through his Father. So it's not him that's actually doing this, but it's the Father that is doing it through him. And we, we walk into this, and a lot of us in our lives and in our relationship with God, and, and in general, uh, we say, I did this, right? See what I did? No. See what I did? Uh, you know, how many of you, you know, say it's my church? We all know that it's really not my church. It's God's church. You know, but Jesus is telling us here is that the works that you see me do, that is proof that I am the Messiah. The proof that you're looking for and that you're asking for, I've already done it. But you have to understand that it's not me that's doing it. It's my Father that's doing it. So it's my Father that is proving or that is showing who He is through me. We have the ability or the capacity to love one another, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. Right? We have the ability to walk this life that God has called us to walk as far as being obedient to the Good Shepherd and listening to His voice and following Him and doing what He has to do, not because of who we are, not because of anything that we have done, but it's all because of what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. So the intimate relationship that Jesus was talking about in those first verses about being with the Father and Him being with the Father and the Father with Him and Him with us and wanting that intimate relationship, He is telling us here is that is the proof as far as whose you are. 
in what flock you belong to. If you were doing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you belong to that flock because you are proof of what that flock is doing. Have I lost you? It's all about being led by the Holy Spirit or following the shepherd. We do nothing on our own. So I'm going to get to the elephant that's in the room. And I want us to talk about it. And I'm really, I'm glad that God waited for this for tonight. Okay, because we see here in verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life. Who gives them eternal life? Jesus Christ gives them eternal life. Jesus gets eternal life from who? His Father. So God is giving us eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, right? Jesus Christ is the life and the light. He is the resurrection and the truth and the light. And because of that, He's the one that has life. So He gives eternal life. But then the scripture goes on and it says that no one, that, and, and they will never perish. Who's the they? It would be his flock, yes, the church, but it has to be his flock as far as the ones that hear his voice and know his voice. Uh, you know, because trust me, there's some people in church that they don't know his voice, they don't hear his voice, but they're in the church. So we can't necessarily say the church. We have to make sure that we say that it is his fold or his sheep that are following his word and his name that he is talking about here that has or that will never perish. But then we get here and we we see these words. It says, no one can snatch them away from me for my father gives them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. And I'm going to stop. Let's go on to the end of this verse. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. So we're going to stop here. And we're going to deal with this right here. I want to, I want to help you to see this. And I want to teach a little bit tonight in this passage of Scripture. Because the Calvinists, and, uh, you know, they would take you to this passage of Scripture 98% of the time they would take you to this passage of Scripture that would say that no one can snatch you from my Father's hand. Therefore, if you have been saved, you will always be saved. And if God has given you eternal life, which Jesus Christ did, He said, I have given you eternal life, then you can never lose that eternal life because you cannot be snatched from the Father's hands. This is where they will take you. And then you say, well, okay, uh, you know, so I can go out and I can do whatever I want to do. And they would say, well, if you go out and do whatever you want to do, then you really wasn't saved to begin with. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. The scripture tells me that if I come down to the altar and I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that I'm saved because I have entered in through the gate, right? Jesus is the gate. I've entered in through the gate. Therefore, I am saved. I have salvation. You know, so whenever I am saved and I have salvation, I now receive eternal life from Jesus Christ because he is the life giver. 
So you mean whenever I professed it that he knew that I really didn't mean it in my heart? So he didn't give me the eternal life that he said that, I, that he was giving me? But then you also have to go to Judas. Because Judas walked with Jesus Christ for three years. Judas listened to his messages. Judas was named as one of the disciples. Jesus said that God had given all of them to me. So does that mean that whenever whenever Judas sinned and betrayed Jesus and turned him over to uh, you know to the Roman soldiers or to the Pharisees, uh, you know that he was you know that even though he did that, and even though he went and he killed himself, that he's still in heaven. Well, wait a minute. He was with Jesus Christ. He walked with him. He's one of his disciples. What happened? Satan entered. Well, really, one of the things, and the thing that really, that we fail to put into all of this stuff here, is that whenever you're saved, you do not lose your own will. You still have the will to follow God or not follow God. Whenever you you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He comes into your heart. He does exactly that. Whenever He comes into your heart, He gives you eternal life. But the problem with it is, he says, is that if you walk away from me and you sin, the penalty for sin is death, right? I don't care if you had eternal life back whenever you were 9 or 10. I don't care if that's when he gave it to you. If you walk away from it, the, you know, the price of sin is death and you will die. They fail to understand and they fail to be able to put that in there. Uh, you know, because whenever we look at Calvinists, uh, you know, and I'm going to try my best to really understand, you know, to, to describe this for you. Whenever we look at Calvinists, uh, you know, they give us this and they say that you were totally deprived. Every one of us are totally deprived. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to be saved. Absolutely, positively nothing that we can do to be saved, Right? Huh? You have to confess. There is something that we have to do. Calvinists believe that there's absolutely nothing that we can do. It is total depravity with capital letters. You are saved if God wants you to be saved regardless. There's absolutely nothing that you can do. He chooses who's going to be saved and who is not going to be saved. Wesleyan, the evangelical Methodists, the Nazarenes, believe that, yes, we are deprived, and we are totally deprived, but we're totally deprived with a capital T, which means that there is something that we must do for our salvation. And what we must do for our salvation is that we must choose Jesus Christ, and we must choose to follow him every single day that we live this life. There's absolutely no way that we can have eternal salvation just simply because we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the scripture tells us here that we receive eternal life. That is like getting a gift and then leaving it sitting on the table and never using it. It's your gift, but it does you absolutely no good. 
So if you're on a cruise and somebody gives you a life vest as a gift for you to go on the cruise and you leave it in your room and the ship goes down and you never put it on, what's that life vest going to do for you? Absolutely nothing. But whenever we look through this, we, we can't, yes, this is, uh, you know, and I don't want it to be bad-mouthing the Calvinists because there's some people that believe in the Nazarenes that as long as I go to church, I'm okay. As long as I'm a part of a church, I'm okay. Uh, you know, we have issues with that because that is not following the voice of God. That is not following the voice of the Good Shepherd. That is just simply receiving and then doing nothing about it. We receive, but we don't do anything about it. We have to go to the passage of Scripture uh, you know, where Jesus says that if you are my disciple, then you are truly set free. See, it's that disciple part that talks about that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. We follow his teachings. We follow the words that he gives to us. So, what do we do with our friends and with our families that are in this passage of Scripture? What do we do? We live the life in front of them. We give them to God. Continue to pray. Do we... Do we chastise them because they don't believe exactly the way that we believe? Well, we would, we would never get them back, but the thing about it is, is that if we begin to chastise, then we judge. See, whenever we're here and, 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 we, and we go to this, and, and this, is, this is difficult and this is pointed... Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we see the words that are written here. But we understand what does it take to get to heaven? What does it take to get to heaven? To ask for forgiveness of your sins. But it takes a belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Scripture tells us that, right? The, the Scripture talks about sanctification, talks about, and, and uh, you know, we have the passages of Scripture that talks about the disciples laying on of hands, and we have the, you know, the, you know, where Paul lays on of hands for a second work of grace. But does that mean that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you didn't have a second work of grace, does that mean that you're not saved and you're not going to heaven? See, we have to be careful with these. 
Uh, you know, there are many denominations and there's many different ways as far as the denominations have as far as we believe in this and if we get to the point that we say that we believe in this and if you're off of this, then you're not going to be in heaven. We need to be careful with that. I know that there are people in this congregation that have been raised up in the Pentecostal movement, right? Right? Okay, okay, I was making sure. One of the things with the Pentecostal belief is, is that evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Some of them go to the point that they say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. See, we need to make sure where we are. We can't. We can't get so much to the point that if you didn't do it my way, then you didn't do it the right way. See, but we, we get that way. And I had to call and, and I had to apologize to my dad because I was trying to force him to see a way that I believe. It's not my responsibility to do that. It's my responsibility to live in front of him and then to allow the Holy Spirit to show and to direct his life. I knew that this was going to be difficult. That's why. That's why I thank God that it wasn't this morning that I tried to go through this one here. <laughs> we have to love God enough and to trust God enough that He has everything in His hands. And we are supposed to follow God the way that he directs us, not the way that he directs others, other people. We have to be willing. And it goes back to that, you know, we have to follow the shepherd. But we follow the true shepherd. As sheep. And this is one of the things, as sheep, we teach other sheep by doing what? They, they, by being sheep ourselves, ourselves, because they follow, they'll follow you. But they don't follow you because of the words that you say. They follow you because of the life that you live. I grew up Baptist. 
So I guess that's why I, I could go to that. I've had preachers give me the illustration of putting something in their hand and telling me, you know, asking me to, to pull it out of their hand. And, and there's no way that you can. There's no way that you can. But the rock, if it's a rock is dead, so that's kind of a bad analogy. But someone that's standing there, they can move. They can get out of it. And that's what I struggled with. My thing was, is that if I'm a Christian, the way that you're saying this, then why am I still struggling with the same sins that I was struggling with before I got saved? And they didn't have an answer for it. So I had to search for the answer. I found the answer in sanctification, in the total submission of your life. Now, does that mean that I don't battle with the same sins that I did? I still have some of those same battles. But it means that I now have someone that's living within me to help me with those battles. Instead of me trying to fight it on my own. You know, we also need to look in this because this deals with protection. We're, we're in his hands so that we can be protected. So that Satan can't snatch us away. So his hands do provide us protection. And we long to be there. We have to be there to be protected. So we're in the hands of Jesus Christ. We receive eternal life through the Good Shepherd, through Jesus Christ the life giver, as we follow his leading, as we continue to walk the walk and live the life that he has called us and that he has directed us to. Will we stumble? Yes. Will he pick us back up? Yes. Will he be there for us? Always. Always. Because he loves us. Because his father gave us to him. John 3.16 says, For whosoever, for all of us, everyone, if we love him. Salvation is for all that accepts. For all that continues to walk in the path that he has for us. Let's stand for our dismissal.